But every time our roles have changed, everything's up for renegotiation. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is the show where we talk about what you need besides money before you retire. Or if you're already retired, we can give you some great ideas on how to have a better retirement. Remember, there are other things to think about besides money when dealing with retirement. And if you'd like to have a more interactive experience, join our private Facebook group by going to rockyourretirement.com slash Facebook community. Our guest for today is Doug Nordman. Doug is the author of The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. And get this, all of his writing revenue, all of the revenue that he receives is donated to military charities. I love that because, of course, I live in San Diego, which is a military town. He's a retired submariner who's enjoyed over 14 years of financial independence in Hawaii. So if you hear the birds in the background, that's because that's where he is. He's in a tropical area of Hawaii. He and his wife, who's a retired Navy reservist, raised their daughter in the islands. And now she's on Navy active duty with her spouse. Marge and Doug have lived on Oahu for over 25 years. They enjoy slow travel all over the world, some of it on military space A flights. We're going to find out a little bit about that. And do-it-yourself home improvement projects. He's also an enthusiastic surfer. So, Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. I enjoy listening to your podcast, and I'm uh, glad to be able to do one. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you agreed to come on the show. So Doug and I met at an event. It was actually, I think it was FinCon. That's right. And I had sort of snuck into FinCon. I didn't have a ticket, (laughs) but I was invited to a networking event from one of the sponsors. And so I decided to go. I thought, wow, this would be a good way to get to know some financial bloggers. And that's what you do, right? That's right. I uh, write about personal finance for military, for the service members and the families. Yeah. And so even though we don't talk a lot about finance on this show, Doug's been retired for how many years now? I've been retired for 14 years, almost uh, 15. Yeah. So I thought he would make a good person to talk to on the show so that he can share some of his experiences, how he was able to retire, some of the travel he's done, just whatever we decide to talk about. Is that okay, Doug? Oh, that sounds great. Take it wherever you want. (laughs) Or maybe you'll decide to take it someplace. I try not to hijack the host's podcast. No, this is your interview. So (laughs) we we want this to be fun for both of us. So tell me, you retired, what, 15 years ago, and did you work after that, or what did you do? I uh, I didn't seek a traditional bridge career after the military. Uh, when I retired in 2002, my wife and I thought we both had enough assets to be financially independent, which is actually correct. That turned out to be the case. And I never really found a job that I really wanted to pursue. I didn't see any bridge career that really interested me. But after a couple of years, I did stumble into writing, and I've learned that uh, I'm an author. 
Awesome. Did you take a class or did you just start writing? No, I started writing. Uh, this was actually kind of a surprise to me. I'm sure it surprised many of the exos I've worked with over the years <laughs> who always wondered whether I knew how to write. But uh, I found that I was doing uh, longer and longer essays and discussions on Internet forums. And uh, one day we decided to answer some military questions about personal finance. And I found myself writing a book one chapter at a time. You finally end up with a manuscript. That's awesome. And is it the one book that you've written or have you tried your hand at other books as well? No, no, that's the first book and I'm working on the second book. But again, I'm financially independent, so there are no deadlines. I'm not trying to buy groceries with the money from writing. And I've been working on it slowly over the last couple of years. I, I spent six years writing the first book and on so far I'm three years into the second one. So I've got plenty of time left. That's awesome. So what's the name of your first book? The first book is The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. And that's for service members and veterans and families, retirees, whoever has done anything with the military. Okay. Is it a long book? Is it hard to read? Tell me a little bit about the book. Well, it's broken down into the different situations a service member or their family may find themselves in over the years that they're in the military. So it's got chapters in there that apply to some people and other chapters that apply to only a very few people and other chapters that apply to everyone. And I wrote it in a way that people can skip around and read only the parts that they're interested in. In in hard copy, the book's about 200 pages, and some of that includes uh, appendices and dig into the details of some questions that are very popular on the website. A uh, Kindle book, it's uh, about a two-hour read tops. Uh, much of it can be skimmed, and somebody can stop at the parts that they're interested in and figure out what's specific to just their situation. That's, that's good, because, you know, I... Like I said, I live in a military town, and I think a lot of the military retirees don't want to spend, you know, five months reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be too complicated, and I find that the audience really just wants to know something in uh, half an hour, maybe an hour, uh, maybe a 10-minute blog post even. So I try to keep it short. That's great. That's great. So how did you, I'm going to switch subjects here. How did you decide on Hawaii? Were you there already? Well, we uh, came to Hawaii in 1989, courtesy of the Navy. Uh, many people don't realize this, but over the years, Pearl Harbor has grown to become the nation's largest submarine home port. Almost one third of the U.S. Navy's submarines are home ported here today. And in 1989, I was aware that people came here and found many submarine jobs with the Navy and had no reason to leave the islands. We, uh, we actually left the islands in 1994 for a three-year tour in San Diego. And I'll admit that if you can't be stationed in Hawaii, San Diego is a pretty nice place to live. <laughs> but we found ourselves in San Diego, and every time that we made a trip to Hawaii for training or for a military conference, it felt more like coming home when we landed in Honolulu than it did landing on the runway in San Diego. So after we were finished with our tour in San Diego, we came back to Hawaii, and we haven't left since then. So we've spent 24 of the last 27 years here. Wow. Okay. That's that's awesome. Now, a lot of people, when they move to Hawaii, they get um, – I have a friend who just moved there maybe mm -hmm. two years ago with the military, and she's not in the military. Her husband is, and she was a little concerned about – getting, uh, I forget what you call it, where, where you want to get off the island because it's so small. Rock fever. Yeah. So how did you deal <laughs> with that? Well, I am a submariner and I am accustomed to living in very small enclosed spaces, kind of like spending 90 days in an elevator shaft. <laughs> but it, it affects people in different ways. And some people come to a small island and are not very happy. Uh, other people come here and find plenty of things to see and do. And I'm in that category. The island has 600 square miles of places to visit and plenty of things to see and do. And every direction that I drive in, I can go surfing. 
That is awesome. And you're a big surfer. I'm I'm a very enthusiastic surfer. I was surprised at how much it uh, bit me, how much the bug caught me when I retired. Oh, so you didn't even know how to surf until you retired. No, and, and, and thank goodness I didn't because it's a very difficult work-life balance question is when you're driving to work in the morning and you see some awesome waves out there, you have to decide whether to keep on driving and do the right thing or whether you should really just go surfing. And luckily, uh, on the day I retired was when we started surfing. We actually took family surfing lessons on that first day, and we were hooked. <laughs> that is so awesome. So you got bit by the surfing bug. And of course, you know, a lot of people in San Diego surf as well. And your whole family surfs? That's right. And my daughter and I spent a lot of father-daughter time out there in the surf while she was growing up. She learned to surf with me when she was only nine years old. And so she spent over half her life surfing. Wow. Now, were you retired? Wait, how old was she when you retired? You were 41, I think? That's right. I retired at age 41 and she was nine and a half years old when we retired. So she uh, finished raising uh, herself in Hawaii with us uh, her <laughs> teen years when we were retired. We call that the danger zone. <laughs> Weren't you glad that you were there full time when she was a teenager? <laughs> I wasn't I happy going through the experience at the time, but I was glad I was there. So many people, of course, they're not in your situation and they have to work or they're off working when their teenagers are getting into trouble. So you must have that must have been a good thing for the two of you. It was it was good to be there before the little troubles grew into big troubles. But uh, there were other times that I'm sure I didn't find out anything about what she was doing and she didn't want me to know about it. <laughs> Oh, 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 you know, I have a question for you because this does relate to my audience. And that is a lot of times when people retire, now most people don't retire at 41, that's for sure. But most people, I mean, a lot of people when they retire, they're not used to spending so much time with their spouse. How did you deal with that? <laughs> I happen to like my spouse. We enjoy spending time together. Actually, we call it being alone together in the same house. And generally in our daily routine, uh, I'll be in the family room working on a computer or reading a book or doing whatever I do with the papers and the things I have in the family room. And Marge will be in the living room. Maybe she's watching TV or reading her own books or working on her own projects. And we'll take breaks from whatever we're doing, you know, once an hour, twice an hour or whatever, and, and meet for little discussions or, or work on yard work or home improvement projects together. But we're very comfortable being on our own in the house. We don't feel like we need to be constantly engaged with each other. So that works out very well. And we've been married for over 30 years, so it was going to work out one way or the other. <laughs> so you were babies when you got married. Well, yes, ex exactly. The babies, good, good word. <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me, your relationship reminds me of my husband's and mine because we work together sort of not I don't know, use the word work loosely, but he'll be on the computer. We have two desks, big executive desks that face each other with the returns. And, mm -hmm. um, and then my bird room is right behind me. So the bird can, can see us both, but Les sees the bird. My back's to him unless I'm looking at him. So we're together all day, but we don't talk all that often. We'll email each other. <laughs> That happens occasionally. We'll email back and forth or, or something that we want the other person to read or edit. But we spend uh, time talking about the things we need to talk about. And then frequently we'll swap papers back and forth while we're working on something. <laughs> we have lunch together, you know, during the work, work day. And so we'll go down, we'll have lunch, and then we usually will watch a TV show, you know, a recorded show during our lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And we talk as well. 
It's funny, you can make it work being in the same house, but you know, Doug, that there is a higher divorce rate after you retire, right? I've heard about that, and I haven't personally experienced that, but we have seen that in some friends of ours. And part of it is you have to be comfortable with who you are and and what you are and kind of have an idea of how you want to live your life. That helps a lot. The other thing that's uh, helped over the last 30 years is that every time our roles have changed, everything's up for renegotiation. And so when I retired, Marge was still drilling with the Navy Reserve. And so I did a lot of the home front duties while she was drilling or away at work. And when I would be in active duty and at sea, she would handle some of the home front stuff. Then we we come from very shared backgrounds. We met in college and we both had long active duty careers in the Navy. So we're comfortable with renegotiating the roles whenever things change in our lives. What advice would you give to my listeners that maybe aren't in that situation? They're, you know, used to being more rigid in their lifestyle. What what would you tell them so that they can stay married the same way that you and your wife did? You've got to have a plan. You've got to talk about it with your spouse. And we do see a lot of this in the military when people get near the end of their active duty, the end of their reserve duty, the end of their career, and they're getting ready to make that transition to leaving the uniform behind and starting the next phase of their lives. And we tell the spouses to try to go to the same transition seminars and programs that the active duty spouse is going to. The whole idea is that the two of you are sitting through the same seminars and the same material and seeing the same PowerPoint presentations because each of you will see them differently. And that's when you'll discover that you both have separate interests or priorities. And that's hopefully when a long, thoughtful discussion begins about how you're going to handle this next phase of your life. So your advice would be for the spouse to go to the transition seminars if they are in the military. Absolutely. And I I know you have a Facebook group and I spend my time with several different military related Facebook groups. And I'd say that three quarters of the questions that I get from a military spouse are frequently because the spouse and their active duty spouse are not communicating very well. They understand a little bit about the subject, but either one does not necessarily know what the other one doesn't understand, and that leads to a lot of confusion. Okay, and the seminars usually will take care of that? Hope so. I hope so. Uh, The seminars are designed by the military and by the Department of Labor to talk about mainly the process of getting employment once you leave the military and start your bridge career. And there are other things talked about in there like Veterans Administration or Veterans Disability Ratings or other military benefits. So ideally, everybody learns from the seminar and everybody understands what's going on. But we find that if the spouse doesn't have a chance to go to that seminar, because, you know, spouses are working their own careers or somebody's got to be home with the kids while the other person's at the seminar, we find that that spouse may not have been able to understand the program or may not have known anything about it. And their spouse is confused, too. So many times the confusion is just based on not having seen the whole presentation. Now, does the military have any of these seminars recorded that can be accessed online or is that a no-no? No, there is there is a lot of the material online, and the material online is pretty good, but nothing can replace the interaction between the attendees and the person delivering the talk. When you have a question and answer period afterward, then you can find out that your vocabulary is just a little bit different than what they're thinking their vocabulary is, or you've interpreted something they said completely differently than they expected. We see this all the time in a Facebook groups. People will start using imprecise vocabulary to refer to subjects like veterans' disability or leave or the retirement, actual date of the retirement. And so if you've got two people in a room talking about that, it's much easier to feedback what each one understands or doesn't understand. So I really 
uh, encourage spouses to go to the seminar and sit there and listen to everything in person when they can. If you can't do that, then the website material is, is a good substitute. But I mean, the website material, do they have an actual seminar online or is it just written material? Not everybody oh, likes no. to read. Right. I understand. No, we haven't gotten to the point of uh, doing webinars in the military yet. That would be a big help. Uh, the more we could do online, the more we could do with other people. But uh, I don't think we're there yet on that. I haven't seen much of that from the Navy, and I don't hear much about that from the other services. That's too bad, because it would mm-hmm. be awesome. All they'd have to do is set up a camera, record it, and boom, there you go. There you have it. And And you know how fast that technology has grown over the last few years. So I'm sure in the next few years, we'll start seeing that from the military as well. That would be awesome. So if you're from the military and you put together these transition seminars, please keep that in mind because it is definitely needed, especially for the spouses. I know a guy in the Department of Defense. I'll let him know about this. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about the Department of Defense, I used to belong to an association called NDIA, National Defense Industry Association. I wasn't in the industry. I was trying to um, work with the industry when I was doing a business-to-business type job. Hmm. And um, I was I was doing 401k plans. But um, are there associations for people besides? Oh, what's the name of the of the club that people belong to? The VFW is that what it's called? Like like veterans of foreign wars? Yeah. Are there any clubs or associations that people can join after they leave the military? Oh, there are dozens of them, and they're important to join after you leave the military just so that you have somewhere to go to get your questions answered or to at least hear a conversation that you realize might affect you. Now, many of them are traditional organizations that you would think of from our parents being members of, like the Veterans of Foreign Wars or the Disabled American Veterans or the American Legion. And and those are still organizations that today would work, would just support as, as many veterans as they could from the current generation. However, their members tend to be older and they tend to be struggling to adapt to a new generation of veterans. And, of course, the new generation of veterans are going out and forming their own organizations like the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans Association. But all of them have a common goal, and that's to help military make the transition. If they want to start a bridge career after the military, then they're there to help them do that. If they have uh, problems with a veteran's disability claim, then they're there to help them with that. And all of those organizations have a common goal, so they do eventually all learn to work together. Even if you might not want to join the American Legion, you might still find a home in another association. Personally, I'm not a joiner. I uh, don't have an organization I belong to on the islands like a veterans organization. But I do read a lot of the emails and read a lot of the programs and spend time on their websites and on LinkedIn and on Facebook, where they also have their own uh, Facebook groups. Okay, so these groups aren't just where you go and drink. That's the (laughs) traditional, the way our parents used to do it model, and that's right. They're changing now to become more active. A lot of it is community uh, organizations and community service. Oh, well, that's pretty awesome. I didn't realize that. So thanks for enlightening me. I appreciate it. San Diego is a big company town, so you see a lot of organizations over there, and they're all working their way through a transition to a new generation of members. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you recommend that military personnel do in preparation for their retirement. And one of the things that you said was start preparing at least 18 months before your last day. So they always know well in advance. They know that far in advance when their last day is going to be. I wish everybody did, but it doesn't always work out that way. 
if you join the military and do a traditional military career and there's no surprises and everything goes as planned, then yes, you will know 18 to 24 months when your active duty obligation expires. You'll know when it's time for you to start making a transition. And there's usually very little ambiguity in your own mind on whether or not you want to stick around and stick a, another obligation or whether you want to leave active duty and try something else. What frequently happens, though, is somebody will be in a job and find out that they didn't get a promotion or they'll have a medical problem or a physical disability, some training accident, maybe even combat will happen, and they'll end up finding out that they're going through a physical disability review or a medical discharge review. So they may only have as little as six months before they find out that they're going to be separated from active duty. There is a process and, and there are ways to get through it, and it generally works fairly well. There are many notable exceptions to fairly well. But there is a process, and if people are able to follow it, and if the Department of Defense does a good job on it, then everything works out. Uh, however, what we frequently find happens is that people who are in the military and know when they're getting out just don't think that they need that much time to get ready. They say to themselves, well, I'll go home, I'll kick around for a few months, I'll spend some time with my friends, and then I'll see what's out there in the job market. Well, that kind of person is typically already 18 months behind the eight ball on finding employment. So do most people who take these seminars and do the transitions, are they career military or are they somebody who just did a few years? How, how does that work? Well, we, we cover the whole spectrum. Uh, it started with a seminar just for retirees. That was many, many years ago, 20 or 30 years ago. And since then, the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense have put together a series of individual programs. They're all under the umbrella heading of transition seminars, and each program will be adapted to its audience. So there's one series of seminars for people who are serving one obligation in the military, and they're getting out after four or six or eight years. There's another seminar for more senior, especially officers and senior enlisted who have typically been in the military for 20, maybe 25, even 30 years and are going to leave the military and work their way into a, a more traditional executive role after they get out of the military. So those two are the two main Department of Labor, Department of Defense programs. And then a whole series of businesses have grown up around that as consultants to also offer their own seminars. Uh, for example, one military organization talks about marketing yourself for your bridge career after you get out of the military. And another seminar will talk both to junior officers as well as senior officers about how to do the bridge career search because they're focusing on different industries, different positions, and different types of careers. You know, the, the um, organization SCORE, which helps people I start do. businesses, they have a free programs for people transitioning out of the military as well. There's a whole category of uh, programs for military veterans who don't want a traditional career. They want to become an entrepreneur. And some of this is trained by the military. If you go into the military and you've learned to go out there and do the mission and manage a team and, and follow something through, when you leave the military, you may not really feel very comfortable in a traditional corporate environment, or you might want to start your own business and see what you can do. And so, like you say, there's SCORE, there's a Patriot Boot Camp, there's a, a, a program up at Syracuse University for uh, veterans and military families. There's all kinds of programs that have grown up for military entrepreneurs, and I enjoy seeing that in Hawaii as well. We have a, a vibrant startup scene in Hawaii, a startup community, a big tech community. 
And there are quite a few veterans in there who uh, have an idea from what they did during the military and they want to take care of people and they find out that they can probably start a business around it. Wow. So Hawaii is the next Silicon Valley? I sure hope so. Well, we're a much, <laughs> we're a much smaller uh, portion of the startup scene in Silicon Valley, as that's for sure. I don't think we'll ever be that big. But we do have a lot of advantages in Hawaii, and part of that is being out in the middle of the Pacific and being able to work with the Pacific Rim countries to uh, put together a good tech scene. Uh, we also find out that a lot of people from Silicon Valley uh, do their startup business, make their money, and move to Hawaii to surf all day. Like and you. Get, that's right. <laughs> but, but some of them get bored and restless, and they start other companies. So many people that have uh, become active in a startup scene here on Oahu began in Silicon Valley and eventually ended up here for surfing or for the lifestyle. And now they're starting their own tech scene out here. That's awesome. You know, so if I was going to start a tech company and I wanted to find somebody to invest, should I learn to surf? Oh, yes. And and <laughs> I'm happy to help you on both fronts. I, uh, I had been surfing happily for about five years of retirement when a friend invited me to a meeting of our local angel group, Hawaii Angels. And so I've been doing angel investing for uh, eight years now, and we also have an accelerator uh, set up around you, the islands as well. We have several accelerators here. Uh, I volunteer my time with an accelerator called Blue Startups. So anybody who's in the military thinking about getting out, think you want to be an entrepreneur, please, please contact me, especially if you want to live in Hawaii. But please <laughs> contact me about the lifestyle and what you need to become an entrepreneur, and I can put you in touch with lots of mentors. That's great. And I used to be part of Tech Coast Angels here in San Diego. Oh. So, yeah, so I'm no longer you've, a part of you've that. You've probably heard the name Hawaii Angels in the past. Uh, we work closely with a couple of chapters on, on the West Coast for Tech Coast Angels and still do a lot of due diligence and look at investments together. That, that's pretty awesome. You know, it's funny when you when you find a connection with somebody on the other side of the world, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I just I just love that. And there are a lot of people who have these great ideas who don't do anything with them. And they could be, you know, the next big thing. It's solving the big, ugly problems that makes the big difference. And it doesn't always look like a business. But many of the businesses that have started up were solving other problems and then suddenly realized they had another need, another mission, another problem to take care of. And that's how many startups got begun, got accelerated. That's right. So Blue Angels, I'm sorry, Blue Startups and Hawaii Angels, are they all are they all tech or do you work with other types of companies as well? We'll look at any startup that is likely to generate uh, an exit where the investors will get six to 10 times their money on their investment. And that's very difficult to produce, of course. You know that from your time with Tech Coast Angels. Uh, we look at uh, a lot of Internet startups because that tends to work very well from Hawaii, especially with our bandwidth and uh, the crossroads of the Pacific image. But we also do a, a lot of work with clean energy, clean tech. Uh, I have invested in a few med tech startups as well. And medical technology works very well out here. And we're open to any suggestion. We've seen some uh, pretty, pretty crazy ideas come across the, uh, the system and go through the screening and the Things like starting a, a restaurant business or a nightclub or maybe bringing out a new type of beverage. But all those ideas are looked at for their finances, not just for what sector of the industry they're in. I know it's funny because people will come to you for an idea. Like when I watch Shark Tank and people will say, you know, the reason to invest is because they think this or they think that. And you're just cringing because you're like, oh, the only reason they're going to invest is because if they want to make money. <laughs> 
That's that's a big part of it. I, I would say that if you jump into angel investing solely with the purpose of getting filthy rich, that you're going to be very disappointed. But you do find that starting a company or becoming an angel investor makes you a better business person, makes you a better investor. And it's also solving a lot of ugly problems. So we're looking at uh, some medical startups that are revolutionizing stents for uh, lifestyle diseases or even more serious problems. And we're looking at another startup that has made it much easier for elders to live independently at home with tech to help them and their families. So it's solving a lot of problems that one day I might really want solved. When that comes out, I definitely want to interview the CEO of that company because that's right on our alley of things that we talk about. She will be happy to talk to you. I'll I'll introduce you. We'll swap the contact information after we're done here today. That'd be great. I did speak with somebody earlier this year about technology and um, helping your parents stay at home, but that's always something that my listeners are interested in. So yes, absolutely. Please do make that connection. Wonderful. I'd love to. I'm a tiny little investor in a company and I'd love to see them succeed. Yeah, we all, we all would. And it's such a needed service. I mean, so many of us are concerned about our families. This show mostly baby boomers listen to you know, the 80 year olds probably aren't listening to this show, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's probably people in their 50s, 60s and 70s that are listening to this show. And people in that age group are in what we call the sandwich generation because they're they're taking care of their kids and their parents at the same time. It's a problem, especially when your parents live far away from you and you're worried. You're like, oh, my goodness, how can I make sure that they're getting what they need when my parents don't want to move into an assisted living facility, right? My uh, my brother and I we are going through that right now. Uh, my brother lives in Denver, close to our father, and uh, our father has developed Alzheimer's. He's about eight years into Alzheimer's, and he uh, lived the first three years of that independently. Of course, you know how much more dangerous that gets as Alzheimer's progresses, and uh, that was a big issue. And uh, today, my father's in a care facility. Uh, my brother's the guardian. And I manage dad's finances from Hawaii. So we're uh, we're all too familiar with being sandwiched. Wow. You know, there is a freebie that I created that you might want to get. And that is the ABCs of Alzheimer's. I don't know if you saw it on the on the. Website. I have. It's very good. I'm uh, glad that uh, you put that out on a podcast because, like you say, it's our demographic and everybody's going through it. It's a conversation that nobody wants to have until somebody brings it up and suddenly everybody in the room is talking about it. I know. It's actually one of my most popular downloads. And for the listener, if you're looking for that information, just go to rockyretirement.com slash ABC. And you can download that freebie, the ABCs of Alzheimer's. It helps you as the um, son, daughter, person next door deal with the person that has Alzheimer's in a more loving and comfortable way. And I'm sorry to hear about your dad. My dad is also dealing with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's at the same time. Mm. So it is, you know, it's. It's a horrible disease. I hope that we find a cure for it. <laughs> I, I sure hope we do, too. I uh, look at my future, and I'm living as healthy as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Doug, you have already given us so much value, and we have not even scratched the surface <laughs> of what we could be talking about. So I want to make sure that my listeners are able to, number one, buy your book if that's what they want to do. Um, because I think that your book is also probably 
translatable to people who even aren't in the military. But especially if you're listening to this and you have a friend who's in the military about to make a transition or a loved one or yourself, where can they get your book? The book's on Amazon, and that's probably the best place for people to get it. Uh, Go to Amazon and search for The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. You can also buy it directly from the publisher. That's Impact Publications. And the reason I bring up Impact Publications is they're the only one that produces the uh, tiny little 64-page abridged summary of the military guide. It's called a pocket guide because it fits neatly in your pocket. (laughs) And we find that's very helpful on military bases. I will tell uh, people that are in the service at a command or people who are working at a family support center on a military base, the book and the pocket guide are both in the GSA catalog, the General Services Administration catalog that the federal government uses to help people buy the supplies they need to run their government offices. And because both of those books are in the GSA catalog, you can use your command funds to buy copies of that. If you're running a seminar or some type of job fair, we find that those pocket guides are really helpful to buy. They're very affordable to buy in quantity and hand them out. I find that uh, people tend to read the pocket guide. They pick it up at a job fair or on a military base somewhere. And from there, they'll go track down the military guide book or the ebook itself. I'd also encourage people, go check your libraries. Go look at your military-based library and your local public library. I've encouraged people after they are finished with a book to pass it on to a military service member or a veteran or donate it to the library. And we have the book in over 100 libraries around the world on military bases and in America. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Some of our listeners are on a tight budget, so knowing that they could go to the library would be great. Okay, so Doug, is there anything that you want to give to our listeners as far as what to do. So for example, let's say you're talking with somebody who's retired, but they feel stuck. What would be the piece of advice that you would give to that listener or that friend that you're talking with? If they have not yet retired, if they haven't left their their day job, if they haven't started uh, practicing their retirement yet, then that's what you need to do is practice. And this is difficult because when you're at work and you're unhappy and you're frustrated and maybe you're chronically fatigued, the the last thing you want to do is have somebody show up and say, hey, take a couple of weeks off and uh, clear your head. Uh, Unfortunately, that's what really needs to happen is that you need to figure out how to unplug from work and take a couple of weeks off. The, The alternative is that you may end up having to leave work because you've either been laid off or maybe even fired. So if you can do the transition and do the retirement practice on your own schedule and with your own control, then it's much better. So the most difficult thing is to take a couple of weeks of vacation to unplug from the daily routine of the job, whatever's causing the frustration in your life. And then during that time, recover, get some sleep, have some long walks or some leisurely uh, exercise, whatever you do in your off time to try to stay healthy and to relax, do that. Uh, two to three weeks of vacation to practice retirement is not the time for you to decide to clean out the garage or paint the house or go on a great family American road trip. Those are not good ideas for trying to figure out what you want to do with your retirement. Instead, this is a time for you to practice what you will do all day in a typical day of retirement. So you unplug, you try to get caught up on sleep and exercise, and then have plenty of time just to sit in the back of an eye with a cup of coffee and perhaps your spouse or your family and talk about what you want to do. Once you've done that, you'll have a a little better idea of what you want to do in your retirement life, especially the part where you may decide that you're going to be bored in six months. 
And that's when you'll start thinking about what exactly you are going to do with your time. Maybe you'll want to change your career or start a new career, or maybe you'll just want to figure out what hobbies you want to pursue in retirement. But that practice time, that's essential. Oh, that is excellent advice. Practice your retirement before you jump all the way in, right? You've got to control the transition or the transition will control you. Oh, that is such great advice. I am so glad you came on the show today. And for those of you who are interested, he has put together a fantastic little freebie called 10 Tools and Tactics for Your Military Transition. And you can get that freebie at rockyourretirement.com slash military transition. So please head on over and get that freebie. And Doug, do you want to give your contact information? How can people reach you? Yeah, the easiest way is to uh, get online on a search engine and search for The Military Guide. Uh, the website has been around for six years now, and it's ranked on the first page of the results for that phrase, The Military Guide. Uh, the website is themilitaryguide.com, and you can email me through the website. There's a contact me form there to fill out. Uh, people are also welcome to email me. Uh, here's my email address, nordsnords at gmail.com. And uh, send me an email or send me uh, information through the website, and I'll answer your question. I still read and answer every reader question. And the reason I do that is because it gives me a lot of material to answer other people's questions on the site and more material to uh, address questions in the next book I'm writing. That's fantastic. And it's also wonderful that you do all of this out of the goodness of your heart. It's all free. And even when he makes a profit for selling a book at this time, all of that goes to military charities. Isn't that correct? That's right. I uh, donate all my writing revenue to military-friendly charities like Wounded Warrior Project and Fisher House Foundation. Oh, I just love that. And also for my listeners, his website information and his email is going to be in the show notes. So you can find that in the show notes section of this episode as well. So thank you again, Doug, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kathy. I enjoyed being here. And if you come up with other topics that you want to discuss in a few months down the road, I'm happy to come back and talk about angel investing or the finer techniques of surfing in 10-foot waves. <laughs> I love it. That would be awesome. Thanks so much. For my listeners, we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. 
Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.